A big, big jobs report falls on precious metals. Welcome to Kiko Roundtable. I'm your host, Michael McRae. Editor Niels Christensen is in. Hi, Niels. Hello, everybody. Happy to happy, happy Saturday. Happy Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Kiko correspondent Paul Harris. Hi, Paul. It has been one of those weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we are trying to keep the focus on battery metals with the huge run-up in nickel, copper, and graphite. We have with us a guest who runs a company with a focus on a key metal that we haven't dug into yet. Canadian-based Geomega Resources is focused on rare earths. CEO and president is Kirill Muggerman. Welcome to Kiko Kirill. Hi, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Kirill, tell us about Geomega. Uh, look, Geomega is a clean technology company focusing on innovative extraction and processing routes for critical and strategic metals, such as battery metals, as you mentioned. We work with mining concentrates, industrial waste, and, and mining waste. And we originally focused on rare earth elements, which is the focus today, but have since expanded to other metals. For example, we have developed a clean and sustainable rare earth recycling technology, and our first plant will be built just outside Montreal, Quebec. We are now doing the same with bauxite residues, or as many refer to it as red muds, which is the main waste from bauxite uh, processing and making aluminum. We work with major aluminum producers to help them come up with a sustainable solution and recover rares, scandium, and other battery metals that are, that are otherwise lost in their waste streams. Similarly, we work on battery metals where we believe our technology can be useful. But in summary, we look at multiple opportunities where traditional technologies cannot be applied either because of their poor environmental footprint or let's say uh, simply because of economics. And uh, our processing technologies are able to offer recycling of major reagents, uh, recovery of iron, which is a major headache in extractive industry in general. And uh, so it's an important byproduct. So that, therefore we are able to mitigate um, both economics and environmental footprint. So that's kind of what Geomega does. I really look forward to having you on. Uh, there's been a lot of happening within the rare earth space. Uh, we look at uh, the record results this week that came from uh, MP, and then also there was Linus as well. We want to really understand uh, the dynamics of the market, uh, how much demand we really have, and then how much real is what is happening on strategic. And then also, uh, Chi Omega did take an interesting pivot, and that was just the way that you're looking at the market and how it's shaping up. We're going to get to all those questions uh, later in the interview, uh, Kirill, but uh, first, we got to talk about macro. Niels, what was in this jobs report that was so hard on gold? Nothing really. I mean, you know, it only it only now sets the pace for tapering uh, by the end of the year. That's all. That's you know uh, what ninety nine hundred forty three million jobs created. The unemployment rate fell to five point four percent. Sorry, I think you mean nine hundred forty three million. Yeah, sorry, yeah, four hundred nine. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Ends in case. Um, that would mean uh, that would mean uh, that would mean ten jobs for each of us. Thousand jobs, yes. Mm. Nine hundred forty-three thousand jobs created. Uh, the unemployment rate fell to um, to uh, five point four percent. Wages increased zero point four percent. That was probably the good news for gold uh, because it is inflationary. But yeah, it was just this this broad based um, positive. Uh, jobs report you know more people are working more people are getting more money and uh you know it's just it, it adds to this this idea that we're seeing a robust and we're going to continue to see a robust economic recovery um and in that environment you know a lot of guys that i talk to in that environment um gold's kind of worthless you know when, when we have equities hitting all-time highs on a daily basis why do you need diversification? You know, they, they say this, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, 
Um, but it is, it's, it's, it's an argument. And, and we saw that. So we saw gold, as soon as the employment report came out, gold just, just toppled. I mean, we've been waiting for this report for nearly two weeks now, three weeks now. Uh, we were expecting to see some sort of movement, to see some sort of breakout one way or another in the gold market. Um, and it's, it's to the downside. It, it broke through uh, 1790. Uh, some guys are saying that, you know, we should look out for uh, 1750 now. Um, and if that breaks, uh, we could go all the way back down to uh, 1680s, which was the the June lows, I, I do believe. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, right now, it, you know, uh, gold's in it, gold's, gold's going down and you just, you got to watch, you got to, you know, you don't try to catch the falling knife in this environment, I think. I, I do want to talk about sentiment in a minute, but uh, Paul, you have a question. Or comment. Yeah, no, no, it, it does seem to have bottomed down and bounced a little bit uh, looking at the current price chart. And uh, Nils, I guess there is inflationary mindset in you. You, you obviously confused a, an M with a K, and uh, it seems to be something in the air. Um, a company with a project, gold project in British Columbia, requested a meeting with me for uh, the Beaver Creek uh, Precious Metal Summit in a couple of weeks' time. And they said that their enticement was we have 540 million ounces of high grade gold. Well, very interesting. <laughs> that, yeah. Okay, so now I don't feel so bad mixing up thousands of millions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> What's a ticker right, on we- that, Paul? What's a ticker on that? <laughs> uh, I've no idea what the Never mind, is. never uh, mind. Yeah. Never mind. Um, uh, let's uh, let's um, I, that is interesting uh, with this uh, jobs report because uh, Niels, uh, there was a there was a lot of uh, bearish uh, reports uh, that came out. I should say at the beginning of the year, talking about that there was going to be this softness heading into gold seems to have actually uh, come to fruition because also there was just uh, also just uh, recently, you know, gold seemed to be going from strength to strength. Uh, Paul, I, I do have a, a serious point to, to make about the the jobs report though because um, concurrent with that or you know the, the the news flow out of the US, a lot of it this week has been about COVID-19 and um, a lot of companies are um, saying, you know, to their employees, you need to be vaccinated to be able to come back to work. Some companies are firing employees that haven't come back, uh, haven't been vaccinated before they come back. And um, I guess at different state levels and maybe even at the federal level, the governments are looking at, you know, do we need to tighten things up again? Which if that happens, then that's surely going to send a the, the jobs information going the other way. One of the uh, headlines that uh, reached out to me on Delta was that uh, the organizers of the New York International Auto Show on Wednesday said that they canceled the events due to concerns around uh, the Delta variant. Um, I bring it up since miners are planning a very busy travel season this fall, and the auto major is a major in-person event. Uh, BMO uh, put out a note on uh, Delta variant. Uh, it was talking about uh, the impact on China. Uh, what they're saying is, is, is that uh, if there is, uh, how would you say, there is a ramp up uh, and there's a local uh, targeted restrictions, there actually should be mitigating effects on what would be happening on raw materials, because what you would see is that uh, there would be more clampdowns that are put on a recycling because due to uh, travel restrictions. But again, raw materials should hold up a little better if it is in this environment. And then uh, Delta continues to surge. Uh, Niels? Um, I, you know, I don't disagree with anything you guys say. The only problem is, is that we just, we don't really know um, what's impact the delta variant you know what what impact this this prolonged covid pandemic is is going to have 
Um, and, you know, like for now, the Federal Reserve is, is looking at the hard data and, and the hard data, the, the employment numbers are um, nearly a million jobs were created in July. Um, you know, we saw, we, we, we heard comments this week from uh, Fed officials saying that, you know, if, if July, and this is why July was so important, if July numbers and August numbers are really good, if they beat expectations, then that, that will set the pace for, for tapering. So, you know, I, we're not out of the woods by any means, but I think we are sort of this, this one step closer to this idea that um, the U.S. Is, is reaching its criteria to, to tighten interest rates. And whether, the, you know, they can very easily back off these plans if, if things start to worsen. But as it looks right now, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue with um, uh, the July data. And, and I know, you know, employment actually is, is backwards looking. It's not, it's not the best indicator we have out there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's what they are looking at. So, and it, and it's, it just shows just how much, um, uh, just shows how much, um, uh, people sort of want to, you know, things to stay, to, 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 to continue on. Um, you know, in, in this recovery. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's going to be really interesting, but I think for now, you know, we can expect to see more equity, uh, more records in equity markets. And um, I just, I don't, you know, I think maybe gold has to go lower to, uh, to attract uh, some, some more capital, but you know, I do, but you're right. You know, we are not out of the woods yet. And um, we could also take a, a, a talk, you know, a, an entire session on sort of the long-term uh, uh, outlook for gold. And, and I think that's, you know, something that we should be focusing on, but I'll, I'll uh, quickly, um, well, uh, talking about uh, outlooks, uh, Niels, uh, quickly, uh, the uh, Kiko weekly gold survey, uh, what did it tell us? So, I mean, it's, it's bearish as bearish can be, which is really interesting. So uh, 80, 88% of analysts we talked to uh, are bearish on gold. And this, you know, basically this came out, Right after uh, the the $50 sell-off in in the in the yellow metal following non-farm payrolls, um, what's really interesting is um, so there was absolutely no bulls in the survey this week, so nobody was uh, nobody saw higher prices next week. Um, some people said you know there could be uh, a correction, you know a mid uh, midweek bounce, um, but again we're still everything's in you know a, a bounce higher in a long-term correction kind of thing um what's really interesting though is that um a complete 180 from last week last week there were no bears uh in the marketplace as we were reacting to uh dovish comments from uh federal reserve chairman jerome powell who says that who said that um we hadn't the u.s hadn't fit the criteria for tapering but you know Obviously, uh, what a difference a week makes. They say that it is a cyclical environment in the metals. Um, let's talk about uh, copper. Uh, copper production was 477,300 uh, 4, tons, which was 2.3% more compared to 466,500 tons of copper that was in Chile. I do bring up Chile because miners are worried about a bill that would slap royalties on their sales, warning about the fresh taxes that could squander competitiveness and future investment plans that according to a report by Reuters. Lundin Mining and Freeport Mining are quoted in the piece, all warning about unsustainable tax burdens. Investment in operations could also less 
Madison in Chile. Codelco has a plan for a multi-billion dollar upgrade to its operations. Chile says that it needs the funds to fight the effects of COVID and the damage to its economy. In May, BNA America tallied over $25 billion, that's $25 billion in capital expenditure plans by miners across Latin America. Let's turn to mining, but first our sponsor. Cisco Mining is drilling out its flagship Windfall Gold Deposit, one of the highest grade resource stage gold projects in Canada with a world-class scale. If you followed the junior space, you have seen Windfall's headlines. Windfall has announced a series of bonanza grades from drilling and a new discovery one kilometer north of Windfall. It has the distinction of being Canada's biggest drill program. Windfall is located in Quebec, a tier one mining jurisdiction operated by Cisco's teams of trusted and experienced mining executives. A preliminary economic assessment on the project estimated that the first seven years of a full operation would produce 300,000 ounces of gold per year at an average grade of 8.1 grams per ton of gold and an all-in sustaining cost of $610 an ounce gold following a capital expenditure of just 544 million. Windfall is estimated to generate over 8.2 billion of gross revenue and a 1.7 billion in taxes and 400 direct jobs. That's a Cisco Mining, and we thank them for their support. Paul, can you tell us about Torx Gold, please? Yes, um, Torx Gold reported its uh, second quarter, June quarter results this week. And during the conference call, uh, the company said it's dropping its plans to implement its innovative Makahai monorail system at its Media Luna gold development project in Mexico. They said it's too risky and not enough upside. Um, with Media Luna due to be the primary source of feed for the company from mid-2024 onwards, the company plans to develop the, the project using conventional mining technology. Um, all funding from Makahai has been stopped, although the company may implement it on a smaller uh, smaller adjacent deposit. Um, for me, this is a highlight because it just goes to show how difficult innovation is in the mining space because the, the risks are so so high. If it doesn't work, you know the plan B is just non-existent often. Um, Torex reported a really really good quarter: sixty point seven million dollars um, net income on one hundred eighteen thousand ounces production at a, a very eye-catching less than $900 an ounce, all in sustaining cost. What was in Anaconda Mining's preliminary economic assessment, Paul? Yes, sir. the Atlantic provinces of Colombia have been drawing a lot of interest in, in recent years through uh, Atlantic gold, more recently Marathon gold with the feasibility there, and even more recently newfound gold and the um, high-grade intercepts they're getting. One project that's kind of gone along under the radar is Anaconda Mining's Goldborough project in Nova Scotia. So they put out a PEA for a 4,000 ton a day operation to produce uh, an average of 112,000 ounces a year for a, a tidy 17.6 years following a $286 million initial capital investment. IRR there is uh, over 24%. Um, one thing that really struck me of this is the project has a much lower than average capital efficiency of around $116 per ounce of production. And friend of the podcast, Hugh Agra's Revival Gold, he had a hit. Yes, um, Revival Gold um, reported their uh, drill results from the, the Joss target at its Bear Track Arnett Gold Project in Idaho. And they reported a big intercept of uh, 84.6 meters, grading 2.67 grams per ton. The, the average grade of the the, the, the project is around a gram a ton. So 2.67 means that uh, Josh could be a, a really high grade component for any uh, 
future mine development there. The company's continuing to drill there and step out. So Joss could potentially be uh, quite a, a game changer for the, the future of that project. Uh, in the note that you sent me before, you noted two significant money raisings that'd be both in the hundreds of millions, but I both believe that they're for different purposes. Let's start with the Miana Gold. Why are they raising money, Paul? Yeah, um, they, these caught my interest because um, you know we're obviously in a low interest rate environment. A lot of miners are taking advantage of that to refinance their debt. So Yamana raised $500 million um, in 10-year bond, refinanced at a rate of a 2.63% coupon. And with that, it's going to retire various existing bonds with coupons from 4.76% to 4.95%. So it's going to reduce its overall outstanding debt the interest it pays and carrying charges, as well as extending its maturity. And, and that really is a sort of big boy uh, financing, multi-asset company, cash flows, et cetera, et cetera. They can go to the banks and get really, really good terms. Grand Columbia Gold, much smaller company. They raised $300 million in, in bonds to fund the development of the Toro Peru Gold deposit in Guyana and repay the outstanding $18 million on its uh, gold link notes. Uh, their coupon comes in at something like 6, 6.5%. Um, but it's a real step up for them from some of the financings they've had to do in the past, such as the gold link notes and silver link notes, which had a lot of strings attached to them and uh, restricted some of the things the company can do. So very positive for Grand Columbia, moving up to a sort of big boy type of financing. But um, it really shows the difference between what the, the tier one companies can get in terms of the interest rates they have to pay, so two to a half percent, compared to um, smaller companies, you know, six, seven, eight percent. Um, good news for Grand Columbia, though, is that means Toro Peru is fully financed because the company um, previously arranged about $100 million in investment from weed and precious metals. The construction there is due to start uh, possibly early next year. Notable quarterly results, uh, Nornickel, the world's largest palladium and nickel miner, would have a blown out quarter, but was hampered by enviro costs. You may have seen some of Nornickel's uh, headlines uh, just regarding uh, some of the uh, river spillages that they've had up in Russia. The company's free cash flow increased 48% year on year to $1.4 billion, driven by the reimbursement for those damages. Uh, Equinox Gold releases quarter on a Wednesday. Equinox Gold uh, produced 50,000 ounces less at Los Filos, and that was due to the blockades. You've also seen those in the headlines. Equinox expects to produce between 560,000 to 625,000 ounces of gold between 20 and 21. As always, battery materials have been rocking. Albemarle, uh, the world's top lithium producer, had net income of $426 million in the second quarter, and that was up by 396%. Paul, are you going to help me with the pronunciation on there, or do you have something to add? I, I always thought it was Albemarle, but I was going to add that um, <laughs> five times increase in their, their net earnings. So uh, and their, their outlook for lithium for the second half of the year is it's to the moon. Yeah. And I think this is a good point to bring back a real MP materials had a revenue increase of 141% year on year driven by increases in realized sales of rare earth oxides. I believe that's the mountain pass materials. And also there was a last month you had Australian rare earth miner Linus, which also announced record revenues. Um, Kirill, I, 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 maybe you can just help us first here and you could just talk a little bit about the rare earth landscape uh, outside of China and North America. 
there's Linus, there's MP Materials, what we just reported on. And then I also believe there's the uh, producer of Vital Metals. Uh, is Who are the, um, or, you know, uh, an inaugural producer of Vital Metals. Can you just talk about uh, who the rare earth producers are and kind of what their standing is right now in um, outside of China? Um, yeah, so uh, you have Linus and MP Materials, which are in production. And there are a bunch of other juniors uh, at quite a few different stages of exploration and development. Uh, you're right, Vital Materials started um, the developments at their operations. Uh, can't fully comment on this. I don't, I mean, uh, I used to follow much more of the different moving parts in the space when I was an analyst. But uh, let's say Linus and MP Materials are the only ones that. Uh, really producing enough significant volume of material. But um, I would say just like 10 years ago, uh, we are seeing many deals being signed with various Asian groups uh, on a regular basis. And we are seeing China directly taking positions in various assets uh, because at the end of the day, they're trying to reduce its own rarest production from mining local natural resources and instead focusing on importing concentrates and, and refining them all in China. So that's really the movement of fund, try and fund, see where it goes, how far it goes, get them towards producing some rare earth oxides, and then ship it all to China. Uh, they love doing it with monazite. They love doing it with um, uh, with uh, general rare earth carbonates uh, from quite a few different mines. But uh, look, Linus has been the only bright star in the space, in my opinion, as the only junior that succeeded in building its own mine, processing facility, and establishing itself as a major player. MPs, a past producer uh, that uh, the asset then came back, disappeared, and then came back again. So it's great to see them succeeding, and hopefully they uh, stay uh, stay for a long time, time this time. As for all the other projects, they all suffer from, in my opinion, poor economics. Uh, that is always related to their uh, processing technology, and that is directly con connected to their environmental impact of the project. Uh, what I mean is that most of these projects and many industrial projects in general uh, are not economic at current prices. Uh, and that was the case 10 years ago. Everybody would always quote future forecasts. So they need prices to double, triple, and even more in order to be economic. It's like developing a gold project that will be economic at $2,500 an ounce. Uh, okay, it's great to say on papers, like, look, fund my project at, uh, because at $2,500 an ounce, it, it's super good. But it's nice to show projections. But if you want to finance your mind today, you want it to be able to run at today's prices. Uh, we see the same in graphite and in lithium space. Until the price has really moved up, and we have seen that move in lithium not as much as in graphite yet, uh, it is very hard to develop those new mines. And if the price goes up on geopolitical reasons, it will come down again, and then the mines will not get developed. If the price goes up for good due to demand, and well, then we have a sustainable industry. But uh, yeah, we can take, uh, we can look at Montviel as an example. Montviel is the, the rarest project that Geomega has. Uh, it's in Quebec, very well positioned, infrastructure and everything. Uh, it is the largest bathnessite resource in North America. And uh, it can be an amazing producer of neodymium and praseodymium for decades to come. But if you base it on traditional processing technologies, you will always be above Chinese prices because of the environmental barriers and lack of the governmental subsidies and support that they get in China. But once you apply new technologies, and Paul, you mentioned innovation, uh, very risky and very difficult. 
uh, in the mining space. But once you apply those uh, new technologies and demonstrate that it can do the job, your economics go through the roof uh, for the project like Maltiet. And your project can work even at current prices. The hard part is demonstrating it, which takes time and risk because you need to scale up those technologies gradually, which is similar to what we are doing in the recycling space. I see, uh, Kirill, that uh, Niels and Paul want to get in, but I, I just sure. want to just follow on that point uh, just quickly. Uh, what is, um, what's tricky about uh, processing rare earths? <laughs> uh, what's not tricky about them? Uh, separating <laughs> them is very, very hard. Uh, but before you get to separation, just extracting them from the ore is very complex. There is uranium and thorium included, so you need to get rid of those. Uh, not only this, you've got, uh, you're dealing with um, fairly low grades. I mean, uh, yeah, you're looking at one, two, three percent because the main big high grade projects is MP materials and Linus. They are in production, but all the other guys, uh, if they want to put something in production, they have to produce huge amounts of waste, uh, very large tailings facilities. And those uh, are not really supported by environmental standards because, again, you'll have uranium, you'll have thorium, and you'll have other impurities in there. So if you really want to demonstrate today a project, a rare earth project that works, it has to work in new innovative methods where you are really putting together a process where you're reusing your reagents. Because any rare earth project, your, your traditional methods, you'll use a lot, a lot of sulfuric acid and hydrochloric acid. And then that material, you have to neutralize it, dump it, store it in your tailings. So it becomes very, very complex. But if you want to do something similar to what the, the market wants to see, because don't forget the buyer of that are those big uh, electric vehicle companies. They don't want to have that environmental responsibility of where that came and under what conditions. Uh, so you really have to focus on those new technologies that can recycle reagents reduce the waste, uh, have minimal environmental impact. And those are the challenges, I would say. Niels. You're absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right, Niels. And, uh, but I'll just add to this on gold. I mean, gold is such a big industry and there are so many players in it. And there are so many deposits that have been discovered over the years. And majors have been injecting a lot, a lot of money in, in terms of improving those processing technologies. Uh, so look at all the refractory deposits, uh, POX, BIOX. Uh, those are new technologies that got developed over the last, whatever, 20, 30 years. They didn't exist before that. In rare earths, it's been stagnant. It's just been stagnant. So a junior today, he goes to a processing uh, a company and says, I've got this rare deposit. Can you please give me a processing flow sheet for it? And he gets what's basically from a, from a textbook. Here's how to process them. Yeah, it doesn't work that way anymore. That's the way it works in China. And with all the lack of environmental restrictions, which they're trying to tighten right now, but you can't start a brand new project using those processes. You, you really have to innovate. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I had discussions with some of the private mining private equity groups. 
that did play in the mining in the rarest uh, cycle 10 years ago and they all said this is not mining this is chemical processing industry Look, no, 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 that's fine. You, you, you can't pinpoint and say, uh, like in the case of biox, for example, in gold refractory, you can't say like, oh, there's a biox, let's use this and that's it, it works. The deposits are different. Yes, they have some similarities, but they are different. You know, people uh, approach us and they say, well, you have this technology, can you try and will it work on ours? I don't know. You have to send me the material, I have to test it. And then I'll say, yes, I can extract your errors using a clean, sustainable, low-cost process. And sometimes I'll say, absolutely no, it doesn't work. So there is no magic box. You know, people tell me, uh, investors say they don't like investing in a black box, magic box. Absolutely true. There are no magic boxes. There are no black boxes. If somebody tells you I've got a magic box and you put any type of material and the rarest come out from the other side, run. No magic boxes. You have to work hard and adjust every single process to whatever the material is coming. Some will have some weird impurities that you have to remove because you can't have them in a rare earth concentrate. They will go to a separation. And some of those impurities will even stay in your separated oxides. And then you have to fight with it because somebody who wants to make magnets from them just does not want those impurities there. Paul. And all of this, I imagine, is compounded by China's dominant supply side positions. 90, 95% of most rare earths it's able to influence the price up or down. So if a competitor comes along, they can they have the ability to release more material into the market and reduce prices. Well, well, who is the competitor? Uh, right now, the competitors, the juniors that are coming up uh, in building new deposits, they're all funded 10, 20% by Chinese companies. Uh, so China wants to develop new projects, especially the African projects, Australian projects, because they want to ship all that concentrate because the number that you said, 90, 95%, that's in refined rare earth oxides. In terms of mining, they are much lower now. They are in the 60s, 70s. They want this material to come to China. They, uh, they want to preserve their natural resources. And they actually do want to, to prioritize uh, refining, uh, making metal, making magnets. That's what they want to do. They don't want to do, as they say, the dirty part of uh, digging a big hole in their country. Kirill, can you quantify, this will be a hard question, but can you quantify uh, what is really meant by a strategic? We always hear about the strategic metals, and then there's always a concern about the exposure of uh, relying too much uh, on just one country for uh, supplying, in this instance, just a rare earth. But is that something that is actually, because you talked about the hurdle, and then we also hear this for nickel, and we hear this for other projects as well. Uh, is there, you know, is is it... When governments say that they want to make rare earths or they want to make nickel or any other battery metal uh, something that is strategic, is this in any sense economic? Is this any provides any type of support for in terms of kind of getting a mine going? Okay, let's let's take a look at the macro picture on rare earths in general, and it, that will answer your question probably. So when we look at rare earths, yes, they are critical, but we really need to break it down. What really drives the demand, and that that is magnets. So it's not defense applications because yes, defense applications are critical. You don't want to be stuck without some rare earths because then you cannot build your uh, uh, guided uh, missiles or uh, uh, jet planes. 
but by volume, that's not what dictates rares. Uh, and it's not fuel cracking because, I mean, hopefully there is no fuel cracking in uh, whatever 10, 20 years from now. Well, there's going to be some, uh, but it's definitely not fiber cables because, yes, we all want internet uh, and much uh, faster speed. And we all need rares for that. But really, it's the most important one. It's, uh, it's magnets, a super strong magnets. And right now, if you want to build electric vehicles and you want to have your independent supply, you need those magnets. So for me, that's what's driving that. Same thing for renewable energy. I mean, look at how much US is putting money right now into offshore renewable energy, wind energy. That's all uh, magnets. And if you cannot control that supply, if you cannot buy as much magnets as you want, because you definitely cannot make them in the US, so you are, you're stuck. So for me, that's, that's very critical. Um, I think that would be a good time to uh, talk about uh, the process. You had an interesting pivot, uh, and I think you've already kind of teased this before, Kirill, when uh, you, uh, I think that was uh, uh, mids uh, last decade, and then just kind of looking at uh, this problem in terms of getting a project off the ground and then what the company's doing now. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the company pivoted uh, towards technologies because we realized that um, you're, you're looking at your rarest project uh, and then you need to de demonstrate a new technology and you really, it's a huge risk. I mean, as Paul said, I mean, putting a, a brand new technology into a operation at the mine, who is going to finance that, right? So, uh, so we really started looking at rarest recycling from an idea of demonstrating that the technology works. Once the technology is operational and uh, now you can, uh, you're generating cash flow, and beside that, you can start applying the same technology to other principles. So we really moved uh, towards rarest recycling uh, because it's a niche, very interesting niche market. Um, it's uh, it's needed by everybody uh, because China has been doing it now for ten years, and outside of China, pretty much it doesn't exist, and it's sad because uh, we are we are always a step behind China in rares. Uh, they are now building mines outside of China and shipping it in chi into China. We are still trying to figure out how to build the first mine. Uh, we, they have been re recycling significantly. Like, I mean, 30% of rares in China are being produced from rares recycling. When I say rares, the most important ones, neodymium, praseodymium, dysprosium, terbium. Those are, the, those are the ones that are going into the magnets. And here we are still not recycling anything. Why? Because, well, we don't have the magnet factories. We don't have the metal factories. So we are so, the industry is so broken outside of China. Uh, and uh, look, Japan and Linus, they managed to put something together and it's good and we are seeing progress. But Geomega's focus is we are going to put that plant together. And as we are putting uh, this technology towards application at the, at the industrial scale, we are using the same principles now on Montviel, our rarest project, to try and demonstrate, as I mentioned, the economics can be really, really good if you have that technology. And having the technology already operational on the magnets, it starts being easier to, to, to scale it up. Same thing, we now looked at bauxite residues. I mean, the aluminum industry is a huge, uh, huge sector. And uh, there's approximately, what, around 80 plants processing bauxite around the world. And they'll produce bauxite residues, as we all call it, uh, red muds. And there is scandium, which is a very important part of rare earth elements. And then there are other rare earth elements. There's vanadium. There are metals that need to be recovered, but it's all the environmental aspect of it that today's new mentality, all those companies, they want a green aluminum, they want green hydrogen, they all want everything green. So 
our technology, what we are able to offer, and we are looking at, yes, we want to operate our own plant and start developing in Moviera in the future and develop our own cash flow. But as well, we are looking at licensing our technologies in, in applying it to other uh, mines or industrial uh, mine waste or industrial waste that is otherwise just sitting there and nobody wants it. Niels. Um, just wanted to ask really quick, you know, just sort of about the, the economics, like you said, you know, um, prices need to go higher to get more mines. Do you see higher price? Like, is is that going to come? Um, you know, what is what is this market look like? Because, I mean, there's no futures in it. There's no, you know, it's it's all sort of over Very the good question. Very good question. And I will tell you that... Um, the fact that prices did not balloon like they did in 2010, 2011 is very, very good. Uh, prices were hovering around. Uh, when I say prices, I'm looking always at neodymium, praseodymium as my baseline. Uh, well, dysprosium and terbium as well, uh, because those are the four that go into your magnets. So if you look at neodymium and praseodymium, they went from around $40 a kilo to close to $100, $90, okay? And it's kind of, kind of hovering now a little bit uh, around 80 or just below, which is a good price. It's, uh, it, it demonstrated to the end user, because don't forget here, the price is driven by, by somebody who wants to build magnets and by somebody who wants to put those magnets in, into some electric motor or into a wind turbine. And if he cannot, if that vehicle manufacturer cannot forecast, cannot say, well, okay, I'm, I assume right now I'm, I've got two, dollar, uh, uh, two kilos of, uh, of magnet in there and it costs me X dollars, but in five years from now, it will be 10. Oh, so for them, they just want to see uh, demand increasing and they don't want to see ballooning of pricing. And that's exactly what happened. So I don't uh, agree with what uh, you said in terms of, prices need to increase. I think the, the opposite, prices need to stay stable because if they increase too much, yes, the juniors will say, excellent, now I can build my mind. But at the price that the juniors need in their models, uh, the demand just doesn't exist. So it's more just like, you, like you're saying, it's more, we need technology. Correct. To keep the prices, you know, to make, the, to make it more, it's not, it's not higher prices, it's better technology to make everything more economical. Correct. So, for example, at around $100, $110 a kilo of neodymium, from our discussions with many groups, we understand that this is roughly the price where uh, the end user says, okay, I'm starting to consider options without rares. But below that, they're like, look, that's fine. We can absorb it. But uh, at a certain point, they start, I mean, we all seen the research. uh, Companies are saying, okay, now we got an electric motors for electric vehicles without any rares. And then investors are starting to be nervous. Like, do you really need rares? Yeah, you still need rares because a rare earth magnet was discovered in the 80s. It took it almost 15, 20 years to really start getting traction into applications. Any brand new magnet that comes out, uh, don't expect it suddenly to be applied in every single motor. It's years and years and years of R&D testing, validating, because nobody wants to be driving their, their, their expensive electric vehicle and suddenly the motor stops. So... There are many different things about how uh, new materials, industrial minerals, get penetrate uh, penetrate the market. So uh, all that research exists, and it will always be there. But as long as prices are stable for long periods of time without strong big spikes, the end user loves it. As soon as you start seeing spikes, that demand starts dropping in the long term. Paul, this is uh, this is also exciting because it's. 
talk it's talking about uh, we're talking about an emerging trend and one that's going to become ever stronger in mining and um, that, that's the full use of the suite of minerals that a deposit contains um, this is going to be big in terms of ESG going forward um, companies are increasingly going to be under pressure from investors um, their managements and their host governments to fully exploit a deposit you know governments can say if you're going to put a hole in the ground in my country fine but you take out and take benefit of any everything that's there. And so right. that requires technology. Grand Columbia Gold, who I mentioned during the news shorts, Toro Peru, they're looking at um, the ability to produce a copper concentrate from there as well. They're also in Colombia at Segovia. It's a gold mining district for over 100 years. They're looking at putting in a zinc and lead recovery circuit. Again, maximizing benefits to themselves, their shareholders, but also the host governments. Um, this is going to become increasingly common and increasingly necessary for projects to get uh, a green light into production. Absolutely. I mean, one of our focuses has been iron. Uh, if you look at iron within the magnet, 70% is iron, 30% is rares. Dealing with that iron in a clean, sustainable way is very difficult. Iron, everybody thinks, okay, iron is there and no problems, just leach it out. Yeah, but you leach it, after that you have to deal, do something with it because you can't assume you'll just dump it and that's it. I mean, Niels, you're in Montreal as well. And uh, imagine if we put a rare cycling plant just outside of Montreal with a big tailings facility of red, nasty fluids and solids floating there. Nobody wants it. So we had no choice but to make sure that in our process, not only that we recycle all the reagents or the, the majority of them, as we always say, because nothing is ever all, uh, but you get the iron as a product you want to put that iron back into a blast furnace or whatever and send it to the recycling cycle, basically. Because if you don't, you have to deal with that waste and nobody wants to see waste anymore. So you have to increase it. And for mines, exactly the same thing. I mean, we've been looking at concentrates that have been presented to us. Okay, you, we got some rivers. Can we extract this, this, this? How can we extract it efficiently? And so Boxer Residues has been an amazing case study for us because it's got rivers. And yes, the value is mostly in the rivers. But whoever, I mean, look, there over the last 30 years, there were, I'd say, 20, 30 different tries by different companies, researcher, research institutes to try and uh, solve the problem. They all go after rares. We don't only go after rares, we go after all those other components. If you can get value for those other components, iron, aluminum, titanium, vanadium, and the rares, then suddenly your project is not only economic, but you're reducing that waste. So a waste of, let's say, uh, one square kilometer by one square kilometer, you want at the end of the year that to be using significantly less, by, uh, so let's say 100 meters by 100 meters. That's progress. So it's not only environmental progress, but economical progress. And that's what will be driving metal recovery and uh, new projects. Uh Kirill, um, you know, following up on uh, Niels, um, uh, when you're uh, talking about Niels and uh, building that uh, giant tailings, um, the one thing that uh, I'm asking this uh, with your finance hat, and then I'm also asking this because we have a lot of retail investors that uh, come to Kitco. There's a comfort with gold. There's a comfort with copper because we understand that, uh, you know, you're putting in your drill results and then you're also looking at uh, when you have your pre-fees, when you have, uh, you're advancing the project and how close you are. There's a, you know, we can conceptualize these because it is something that has been done in the past and it's been well documented. What is happening now with this uh, battery material space is this is that it is becoming very much with a lot of materials. You look at like your graphite or your lithium and then something like yourself. 
it's really becoming about the technology. It's also really coming about the chemistry. Uh, help a retail investor out. If you're assessing another company that is in the battery material space, uh, that really is relying on a chemistry or is really relying on a technology, what advice or what um, what guideposts would you give that person to understanding the viability and you know the promise of that company? Look, uh, it's a good question because uh, it's it, you're absolutely right. It's very important to understand what the company does and and how they do it. But at the same time, you do have to remember that, for example, in the rare space, we are competing against China. Patenting infrared technologies is very hard because no matter what you patent, you don't know if you, your patent will be respected or no. That's one. In some other uh, industries, it's a bit easier to patent. And then as an investor, you can evaluate the patent. But at the same time, who says that every single investor is a chemist and will understand what it says in the patent? So one thing that I would say is quite important. Look at, will the company be able to make money using the technology at the current prices? Don't let an industrial minerals exploration project say, well, the future is so bright and the market will be at X dollars. I don't care what the market will, will be, but make sure that it works at those prices, which is prices of today. Because we've seen those bubbles in prices in graphite, in lithium, in rares, and they all come down. So what is the baseline? Find that baseline as an investor and try and based on the numbers that they present in their preliminary economic assessment or a PFS and try and plug in current prices and see if it still works. Because if it doesn't, that's a big question mark. Because we know what happens to gold prices, uh, to gold mines that are built at just barely, barely uh, market prices. As soon as the price uh, drops, the assets are being dumped. Mm -hmm. And uh, the same thing happens in industrial minerals. And look at lithium projects that have been built until now. Some of them had to collapse because uh, they were not able to produce uh, at, at the low prices. Let's turn to our number of the week. Uh, Kirill, we always start with a guest. What's your number? Uh, I've selected a very simple number zero. And that's because when we look at rarest recycling, there are zero rarest recycling facilities outside of Asia. Outside of where? Outside of Asia. Wow. Uh, Niels, your number, please. Uh, mine's 85, 85,000 to be precise. And um, that is the uh, 85,000 uh, uh, ounces of platinum, uh, the world uh, uh, investment, the world platinum investment council uh, expects uh, uh, to to um, represent the hydrogen uh, economy in 2021, a 17 percent increase from over last year. And this actually came from uh, the report they they highlighted uh, during the Olympics. Uh, they highlighted that um, Japan is using. Uh, hydrogen uh, uh, power for uh, they're using hydrogen gas to power the um, the, the Olympic flame and uh, hydrogen vehicles are transporting um, uh, uh, athletes to the venues. Um, and all of this requires the use of platinum. Paul, what's your number? I've got a number that's good for base metals, steel and things like that. And it's uh, 256 billion. Um, the US bipartisan infrastructure legislation, which is getting ever closer to being uh, getting over the line. So uh, hopefully that will happen and that uh, promises um, to be good things for a lot of people. 
Sticking with the uh, base metal theme, one third, my number is one third. Uh, BMO calculates that implied Chinese domestic iron ore consumption in the first half of 2020 rose by 39% year on year. So that just shows you the strength that we've seen in the base materials. And then again, the capital and structure, uh, kind of the bullish, the bullish mood that we've seen from governments, or at least uh, supporting their economies, and then how that's trickled through to the base metals. Grail, any news from Geomega over the next 12 months we should be aware of? Yeah, uh, our detail engineering for the rarest recycling plant is progressing, so there will be updates on that, including once we start purchasing the equipment and construction starts. In addition, we expect progress updates on box and residue processing and application of our technology to other battery materials, basically different streams that we keep usually analyzing to see where our technology can be useful. That's it for us. Reach out to us. You can follow me at Michael McRae. McRae is with two C's. Niels is at Niels underscore C. Paul is at CGS 2021 Gold. And Kirill, how would you like people to get a hold of you? Uh, easiest is uh, my email, uh, kmugerman, so it's uh, K-M-U-G-E-R-M-A-N at geomega.ca. And uh, we are as well on Twitter at uh, geomega underscore R-E-E. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Don't forget to subscribe. Kirill, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. This has been Kick Roundtable. On behalf of Paul Harris, Niels Christensen, and Kirill Muggerman, have a good weekend.